Hi, Duke. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and talk about the movies that bombed in the theater, or maybe, you know, critics just didn't like. Brad, we got all fancy last week and talked about the fall. That was was a lot of fun. R.I.P. Wallace. Yes, a little monkey trauma there. I thought we would continue being sort of artsy-fartsy and go back into the 80s and do a documentary as a matter of fact, a documentary from 1982. Little known fact, back in the 80s, despite official denials by leaders of the free world, sources now confirm the existence of Megaforce, a phantom army of super elite fighting men whose weapons are the most powerful science can devise. Their mission, Brad, to preserve freedom and justice battling the forces of tyranny and evil in every corner of the globe. I don't know about you. I'm excited, bud. There's actually another sentence to that and to put Brad to sleep. Mission accomplished. Oh, my goodness. No. Well, I know you don't like documentaries, so uh, they they tend to bore you. I get it. Mm -hmm. We can't tackle a movie of this magnitude without some very special guests. So, so Brad, do you want to introduce a couple of familiar voices? Yeah. We have Jose from WatchSkit Plus. How are you, sir? Good, good, good. Thank you so much for having me back again. This is like my home away from home. So yeah. it's fun to be here. We love that. We're going to podcast for less than four hours today. Is that okay? Uh, <laughs> that is fine by me. Okay. Let me tell you, editing for, it was actually five hours and 20 minutes, the full oh, total. And I edited it down to like four. It was. <laughs> wow. Good job. That's God's job. work. And then we have Sammy from the GGTMC back with us. Sammy, thank Hello. you for joining us. Hey, yeah. how's everybody doing? What, what are you playing? Hey. What is that? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just jumbled I, mess. I, I, all. Yeah, no, no I, I, I am happy to be here. Um, I'm hoping to get back on my show at some point. I seem to do your guys' show more than I do my own. But, <laughs> well, that's that. The, there's just it's a scheduling thing, right? Like I can space it out with you guys, and I can make time. And but with me, like the regular show is every week and I just can't do that right now. So hoping to get back in there in April. But I love being here and uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Of course, man. We we love having you here. And I, I know we uh, we tend to be a little bit more all over the place on our schedule. So I know you can pick it up when we do these odd times. And heck, this one might not get released on time. It's been a busy week for everybody. But Brad, yeah, you guys what, are all organizing stuff. You guys share a spreadsheet and all kinds of craziness. I'm not used to any of this. <laughs> well, you have to understand, Brad and I kind of take our work life practices <laughs> and apply it to this. So, hey, banks are failing now, Troy. We're going to be employed for a long time. I, I think so. Yeah, a lot of risk out there. So am I with what I do for a living. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. Uh, Maybe me too. The, yeah, you're going to keep us all out of jail, Jose. <laughs> you're on the back. Yeah, Jose, you're on the back end of the things that I supply. 
Uh, <laughs> and on the back end. Oh, oh, well, oh, yeah. Bringing up the rear, baby. Folks, if you haven't noticed, this is the official uh, train wreck episode. <laughs> we we had, you know, a nice, good, healthy adult conversation last week. We, we have to change it up and talk about something that's kind of goofy, yet true, totally true. Uh, so we're going to we're going to talk about 1982's Megaforce. This was my pick. As usual, we have Brad sort of jump in the time machine, go back and talk about when this movie was released. There are so many good tidbits of information about this film. But Brad, let's start with the box office numbers. This one's kind of interesting. Yeah, probably why this movie fails is around this time because it is film is released June 25th of 1982. We'll get to the films that came out during that time, but we have a gaggle of them. Um, (laughs) Reported budget is $20 million total box office run, which is two weeks, uh, makes $5.67 million. That is substantially less than the budgets. Um, opening weekend, it makes $2.3 million. And that is good enough for ninth place. Here Ooh. are the films that beat out Megaforce. <clears throat> E.T., the extraterrestrial. Oh, Blade Runner, Firefox, mm. Rocky Three, Star Trek True, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, Annie, Poltergeist, The Thing. Wow, a lot of lot of movies. Lots. Those of are some lot. heavy hitters. No wonder Megaforce is number nine. <laughs> yeah. So then it goes: Megaforce, Bambi, Arthur, Arthur, The Sword and the Sorcerer, Porky's, Grease Two, Conan the Barbarian. What a weekend to see films. Yeah, yeah, except for that Grease 2 thing. But everything yeah, else like, sounds oh, amazing. Oh, oh. <laughs> I got to find my Adrian Zamed picks. <laughs> <laughs> um, critically, boy, we got we got another one of these on our hands, Troy. We got a big goose egg from the critics. Uh-oh. Force sits at a 0% Ouch. with the critics. That's with 15 critical reviews. That's not nice. A 43% with the audience. That's over 1,000 reviews. So hmm. not well liked by many people. How um, do you get a zero percent? I'm trying to work out the well, mathematics. Well, you <laughs> <laughs> just everybody puts a zero down on their score and you get a zero. Okay, <laughs> I guess, I, I guess you all that's how get it thumbs works. down. Zero over fifteen. On a scale of zero to ten, if fifteen people put zero, you get zero. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like yeah. somebody had to have done like half a star. Or something. That's not a favorable. That's not a favorable review. So they do it like uh, if your scale is, I think, four stars, it has to be like a two and a half or higher. Um, blah blah blah. So like to even break they, a percentage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm just glad. I'm just glad Jose's on the back end of this banking thing. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't happen to you know, like be on the board of any bank in California by yeah. any chance, were you, Jose? <laughs> Took a lot of VC money, a lot of tech startup money, all that. Money. Yeah, I just I'm prohibited from saying anything by the government. Okay, no. got it, got it, understood. Okay, and then films you could have seen June of 1982. We have Hanky Panky, oh. Poltergeist. Oh, I, like, I like that film. Yeah, uh, Star Trek II: Wrath of Khan, E.T., The Forest, Grease Two, Arthur, Arthur, Firefox, and then the weekend that uh, Megaforce comes out, you could have seen Blade Runner, mm-hmm. uh, Monty Python live at the uh, Hollywood Bowl, Hollywood Bowl, Bowl mm-hmm. and then The Thing. Wow, it's an amazing third, weekend. Yeah, uh, 
Megaforce was the fourth best film that came out that weekend. <laughs> that's, wow. uh, that's crazy. And I want to say $20 million, uh, $1982 would be 60, 60, 63 million in 2023. Ooh, okay. Something mm. like that, around there. <clears throat> you can check my math. It's still a low budget film. Yeah. Lot, lots of explosions in this film. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, there, there's a reason for that. Yes, there is. That's a good segue because I think Jose is going to talk to us about the people behind the camera. Uh, and there's a couple of familiar names that have popped out over the years um, that we've talked about. But Jose, I'm going to kick it over to you. You just you do such an amazing job of sort of getting us the nice, colorful picture of all the people that worked on this thing. So I'm I'm really curious where you go with this one. So yeah, I am too. Cause I'm really wondering if you'll mention, mention a certain producer. Yeah, I got, mm. I got, I, well, there's that. And I have two names. I'm wondering if you're going to, you're going to hone in on, but, but, but please go ahead. Uh, okay. So unfortunately I actually got lost in a couple rabbit holes because of the names associated with this. So let me Rick's laughing. About me being lost in holes. All right, all. Here we go. Hey, everybody was warned at the beginning. Total train wreck episode. There's, there's just look. It's not. Don't, don't listen to this live at work or whatever. But yeah, there's worse things to be lost in. I think. It, Quite true. Possibly. True. Okay. So I'm going to start with Hal Needham. I mean, this is this is the man who whose imprint is all over this. He is a stuntman legend. So when I think of Hal Needham, I also think of other legends like Merritt Yonka, Dar Robinson, Buster Keaton, Jackie Chan, Vic Armstrong, Jeannie Epper, Wendy Leach. I'm a huge stunt person, like fan. Like I wanted to be. What about Yakima Knut? And Yakima (laughs) Knut, exactly. Um, So Hal Needham is actually one of the highest paid stuntmen in the world. I mean, he did pass away, but he has worked on 4,500 television episodes. 310 feature films in some kind of stunt capacity. So either a stuntman, a stunt coordinator, second unit director, or a director. He actually is a U.S. Army veteran. He served in the Korean War as a paratrooper. Even did a little modeling for a brand called Viceroy Cigarettes. His big break in the 60s was as a stunt person training under John Wayne's stunt double Chuck Roberson. And his big break was on TV westerns and films. So shows like Gunsmoke, Have Gun, Will Travel, classic films like McClintock and How the West Was Won. Eventually, he moved into stunt coordination and second unit. And one of his mainstay actors that he doubled was one Burt Reynolds. And so it's their fu- it's their very, very fruitful partnership that Needham would become the most famous for. And interestingly enough, uh, there allegedly Needham lived in Reynolds's guest house for nearly 12 years. <laughs> Strange, right? Um, uh, but, not really. Now, now when you think about the movies that were being made, <laughs> yeah, I was going to yeah, say, exactly. I kind of, I kind of find that to be just par for the course with those two. <laughs> yeah. It seems like, hey, I got an idea for a movie. Come on over to the guest house. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So speaking of ideas in the guest house, Needham wrote the screenplay for Smokey and the Bandit, and yes. Reynolds offered it uh. to him to direct. So that was his directorial debut. He followed that up with Hooper. Huge hit. We can't even talk about how huge a hit that was. That was a huge That was the hit. number one movie yeah. that year until a little independent film came out called Star Wars. So yes. I, I don't think people understand how 
big of a deal smoking the bandit really was and and really is in terms of a cultural imprint um, when it comes to film. And and I know for some of us, it's all over our childhood. I watch it a couple of times every year. I mean, that that's how beloved it is in this household. Yeah, I'd say it's a foundational. It's a foundational film when you look at a blueprint for an action comedy. Yes. Right. Because it had stunts. It had an amazing cast. All the cast yeah. had chemistry. I mean, it's a great film. Yeah, um, I, I remember watching that with my dad. It's like a, a father son movie through and through for me. You know, oh yeah, you know when it was on TV, totally. Mm-hmm. What's not talked about enough about that film, and we're not, I know we're not reviewing it, but how is how economic that film is because he takes big stars and he shoots separate pieces and then puts it all together. Like Jerry Reed and Burt Reynolds are only on screen together a couple times. Jackie Gleason and them are on screen a couple times, but most of the time, if you think about it, everybody's kind of by themselves. It it, it is yeah. an episode. I w- I mean it goes totally against the theme of kind of what not a bomb is, but I would love to just do a dissection of that film because I think it is so underappreciated, just not in terms of its impact. But to your point, Rick, I think there's some really amazing filmmaking going on within oh, there yeah. and some just stellar performances too. Um, yeah. So yes, I, I, we, we could sit here and talk for hours about that. To- yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. We we could talk hours about how Needham actually. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna Is there a documentary out about how? Because I feel like there really just hasn't been uh, something that so, just tackles. He released him. a he released a book which is he did? really good. I have a book. I have a book that uh, he wrote that's really good. It gives you some really great behind the scenes stories. I believe one of them was, I guess, a stuntman wasn't doing something right or on a horse going down on a horse and not well not, well, not going down. On a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong book, Rick. The other book. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so also the Reynolds and Needham relationship kind of inspired the um, Cliff Booth, uh, Rick Dalton friendship in Once Upon a yes. Time in Hollywood. Yes. So. yes. And there's our Quentin Tarantino reference. Yep. There you go. <laughs> well, not only that, but I mean, even um, even the uh, Kurt Russell character is kind of a yeah bit of a riff on uh, Needham because he was he was a macho guy. I mean, he was he was a man's man. You know, he yeah, he was a, actually he was a this. Uh, Megaforce should have been called Macho Force, but <laughs> oh, well, that's a good name too. Ooh, yeah. um, so, so he followed up directing duties with that with Hooper, another classic film, Smoking the Bandit Two, Cannonball Run, and Stroker Ace. His final film was 1986's BMX film Rad. Oh, classic, um, classic movie. And Hal Needham even inspired a toy company to make something called the Hal Needham Western Movie Stunt Set. Um, they only made a few, so it's a huge collector's item, but it's got like cardboard studio. You can like launch his figure into the air. It's pretty fantastic. But honestly, all of that, it's not even what he's really, really, really famous for. And so, uh, back in the eighties, he and Glenn Wilder and Ronnie R.A. Rondell, these are big stunt, stunt people names Ron Rondell actually, I think was the stunt coordinator for Waterworld, if I remember correctly. But they formed a company called Stunts Unlimited, which was arguably the progenitor for stunt companies like Bill Young's Precision Driving Team or even my beloved 8711 Action Design. And so what they did was they had a cadre of stunt people and stunt coordinators. And if you wanted action, you went to Stunts Unlimited. Um, It's developed into an association of stunt people and coordinators. And listen to some of the names on its core team. We have Jeff Amata. The Gills, Jack Gill, Andy Gill, the Gilberts, Tim Gilbert, Troy, Cody, and Lance Gilbert, 
John Meyer, J.J. Perry, Charlie Picherni, Dick Zeker, Melissa Stubbs, who is uh, basically if you see an action film and there's a woman on a motorcycle, it's her. Chances are Melissa Stubbs is in in the 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 stunt credits, and one Craig Baxley Jr. Yes, which I know you guys know who that oh, is. Oh God, um, yeah. That's all a bunch of good information, but by the way, you're the dick seeker, not me. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> uh, um, uh, additionally, uh, additionally, Needham invented and revolutionized the stunt industry by actually creating certain equipment that actually helped to make things safer. So he helped perfect and cr- create airbags, the yeah. air ram which is my favorite weapon of choice for launching people into the air. Um, The car cannon turnover and the nitrogen ratchet. So those two devices, they're used for stunts where they can't put a stunt driver into the car because basically the car is going to, you know, whatever. So the nitrogen, I'm sorry, the car cannon, there's something at the bottom of it that like shoots into the ground and makes the car flip over. And then the nitrogen ratchet will launch vehicles or objects like at an astounding rate into the sky and like long distances. He also see Hooper for that. Yeah. Yes. I feel like Hooper was just designed in that pool house or whatever with hot wheels and him and Bert just going around just saying we could get the car to do this. I mean, Oh yeah. And then, so technically the name is the jerk off ratchet, but, <laughs> but it has, it, it's developed into just a ratchet. So you hear about ratchet stunts and that's where a stunt person will wear a vest and it's connected to wires. And then when they say action, it yanks them back. Yes. Jackie um, loves that rig. I, the air Ram and the jerk off ratchet are my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see why you went down a rabbit hole there. Jose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. And then he also created something called the Shotmaker Camera Car, which combined a car, a crane, and the ability to tow cars behind it so that they could catch action as the cars were moving. And then the crane would be able to dolly around and look at people and, and you know, end up side by side with the car. So he actually created that. It's also one of the first green type of equipments that was developed for the industry so it was part electric it used less gas it produced less pollutants or whatever he really revolutionized the industry he was he was an innovator also he was one of the first directors to start showing stunt outtakes during closing credits so when you see that in films especially like jackie chan or other stunt films or stunt movies stunt heavy movies it's because he started doing that and then eventually he tried to shatter the world land speed record. He developed with um, he developed the Budweiser rocket, which was driven by stunt person Stan Barrett. And he even formed a racing team with Burt Reynolds. I think it was called Mach 1 Racing. Um, he has a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Taurus World Stunt Awards. That's like the Stunt Oscars. And in 2012, he was given the Governor's Award by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Um, and just so you know, throughout his entire career, he's broken 56 bones. He's broken his back twice. He punctured a lung. He had a shoulder replace, and he's knocked out several teeth. Dang. So yeah. So the I, man, I think in the, the biography, legend. he uh, he took, takes that horse and rides over, and he breaks his leg. And I think he gets up and says, "That's how you do it." <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, he was even injured on this. Apparently, he, he fell off a motorcycle. 
and like oh, hurt yeah. himself as well. Well, maybe, well. maybe he clipped a nail on all those buttons he was pushing. I don't know. They look pretty yeah. dangerous in that uh, RV or whatever he was in. Yeah. Which may be why we only see him seated. Ah, true. <laughs> um, our writer's story credit is by Bob Cackler. His soul, this is his sole writing credit. He was a technical consultant on Stroker Ace. The screenplay written by Needham. We also have a gentleman named James Whitaker. His two other credits are 1978's Charlton Heston, Stacey Keach, Star Vehicle, Gray Lady Down. If you've never seen that, it's pretty, it's pretty weird, but it's, it's good. It's good. And then the two... The 2009 drama Alabama Moon. Our other two writers are Albert S. Ruddy and Andre Morgan. They are going to be more important when we start talking about producers. Ruddy is the creator of Hogan's Heroes. He developed How the West Was Won for TV, and he created Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, he wrote also The Longest Yard, Cannonball Run 2, and story credit for the film Bad Girls, which is one of my favorites. It's an all-female Western. I loved it. Um, well, not all-female, but it's all-female cast. Uh, Ruddy has over 40 producing credits, um, notably the aforementioned TV shows, but also a huge picture called The Godfather, The Cannonball Run Movies, Lassiter, Farewell, Farewell to the King, Eastwood Films, uh, Clint Eastwood Films, Million Dollar Baby, and Cry Macho. He even EP'd the Schwarzenegger film Sabotage. Andre Morgan. So Morgan is also a super producer. This is his only right. This and one other film are his only writing credits. The other film is called Stab, not Scream, but it stands for Special Tactical Airborne Brigade. And he actually wrote that with one Raymond Chow, who will play into things later. Um, Mr. Morgan has worked in a producing capacity on many, many films, notably the Bruce Lee films, Enter the Dragon, Game of Death. Jackie Chan's Battle Creek Brawl, Bronson's Death Hunt, and the Tom Selleck films High Road to China and Lassiter, which I'm waiting for Not a Bomb to review either one of those. Oh, we're good. We're gonna do I them. Love those movies. We, we will probably do High Road to China first. Got it. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Both of those are solid, and and I saw Lassiter in the theater, and I love Lassiter, man. Yeah, they're, my I, parents I, took I, me to see High Road to China, and I dug the shizots out of it. Those those two are HBO staples for me, and I, I remember loving them quite a bit. Absolutely. So our producers our producers are Ruddy and Morgan, but our executive producer is Raymond Chow, and so if you don't know who Raymond Chow is, uh, believe it or not, he started in the audiovisual department for the U.S. Foreign Service, where he was later promoted as a radio program coordinator for the Voice of America in Hong Kong. But eventually, he ended up in the Hong Kong cinema system, and he ended up working for and helped to elevate the Shaw Brothers as a studio. Um, but then eventually, he and a publicity apprentice from that studio, Leonard Ho, defected and started a rival studio called Golden Harvest. And so yes. Golden Harvest should be familiar to all martial arts fans or even if you saw the first Ninja Turtles because they helped to co-produce the first live-action Ninja Turtles. Um, but basically, Golden Harvest recruited... I mean, they practically stole the Shaw, a lot of the Shaw directors. They employed John Woo. They also wooed away, no pun intended, a lot uh -huh. of um, Shaw's big stars... Uh, including Cheng Pei Pei, uh, Bruce Lee, a young stunt player named Jackie Chan. Um, so Samuel Hung was first, actually, though. They brought Samuel over Samo first, Hung. I believe. Absolutely. 
Uh, we could do a whole episode on Needham or even Raymond Chow, honestly. Um, yeah. But this film was part of a slate of films that Golden Harvest was trying to produce domestically and break into the Western market. And so, um, you know, those other movies included High Road to China, which I mentioned as well. So, um, and even Blade Runner, I think there was even a bit of, uh, you yeah. know, I think yeah. really attached to Blade Runner. Yeah. yeah I think yeah, there's about, like, go ahead, Brad. There's like a, this was like a three picture deal they were doing. They had like $50 million and they spread that across this Blade Runner. And I forget the third one. So they're the protector, the protector. Yeah. And then they all, there was also death failed. hunt with Charles Bronson and Lee Marvin. So right, yep. which isn't amazing, which isn't amazing, but it is good. Lamo. Yeah. So the, the hey, slate uh, of films, so I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I gotta come to chime in here. No mention of, of mega producer, David Shamroy hamburger. <laughs> I was just about to mention him. The unfortunately because, uh, named executive producer David Shamroy Hamburger, <laughs> who is that's my new stage name, noted, <laughs> noted second unit uh, director, film producer, and television writer. He's also this film's unit production manager. But, but uh, Sammy, you want to talk a little bit about well, David I mean, the, Shamroy the crazy, Hamburger? The crazy, yeah, the crazy thing about David Shamroy Hamburger is is that Hamburger is not the weird part of his name. I know. <laughs> <laughs> is it the David part? Is that what's weird? The David part's way off. But no, he's a he was a producer. Uh, I would see him on films every now and then. The first film I remember seeing him on is Cannibal Run. Yep. And I remember yeah, laughing that. at David Shamroy Hamburger. And then Megaforce came out. And this is back in the era when, you know, there was no IMDb and stuff. There was maybe some Leonard Malton movie books and some stuff like that. So, you, you know, you had to remember names to tie things together. And with a name like David Shamroy Hamburger... Like I remembered him yeah. every time. But so when Let's Get Harry came out, when the Squeeze came out, uh, I think he was I think he was part of Indian Runner to the Sean Penn film. Mm-hmm. Every time he would come up in the crossing guard, he's worked with Sean Penn a couple times. Every yeah. time his name would come up, I would be like, Oh man, this is a David Hamburger joint. <laughs> it's a hamburger joint. <laughs> Definitely a hamburger joint. You know what you say to that, right? What was the Gary Busey Get it in your Robert- mouth? <laughs> say that. Gary Busey, uh, Robert Duvall film that Hamburger did. Yeah, that what? Let's get let's get Harry. Isn't that let's get Harry? Yes. Yes. Yeah, let's get, yeah, yeah. Let's, okay. yeah. let's get Harry. Yeah. Which is yeah, that uh, was that was like four years after one. Megaforce. Yeah, it's okay. pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then let's see. We've got our music is by Gerald Immel. Sixty three credits, and this is strange. He's worked mainly in music department for TV series. Um, but nearly all of his composing credits are for TV shows and films. So Megaforce is one of the few feature-length films that he's ever composed for. Our DP is Michael C. Butler. He's actually a great cinematographer from the 70s, and he's worked with such great directors as Don Siegel. Uh, he shot Charlie Varick and the Bronson-starring Telephone. Telephone, sorry. Um, he's worked with Paul Mazursky, Arthur Penn, Peter Fonda probably most famous for the deep for being the DP for Jaws 2 Cannonball Run his last film on his resume is 1998 Southie starring Donald Wahlberg sorry Donnie Wahlberg and Rose McGowan um yeah miss so that, that one that is <laughs> I mean, below the line he's from I mean, South was, Boston yeah. Troy that's why he's called Southeast from South Boston oh, got it got it yeah. <laughs> we should we should mention the caterer uh uh Jimmy Small Fries and a Coke <laughs> 
Uh, there are two names on, bro, paired with a hamburger. Southie? Paired with the hamburger. We got it. We got it. Yeah, there there are two other names I want to add to your your list there, Jose. Go for it. So when you're watching the credits, this one stuck out to me because it's an 80s film. And only in an 80s film would you have the credit synthesizer coordinator. So that's an actual credit. Now, we'll talk about the theme song from 707, which is banging. But um, yeah, the synthesizer coordinator is Craig Huxley. And I'm like, why do I know that name? Craig Huxley is an actor, inventor, and musician He had a couple of jazz albums released, but in 1967, he portrayed Captain Kirk's nephew in the Star Trek episode, Operation Annihilate. The following year, he played a role in the episode of In the Children Should Lead, and as a child, he also acted on Kung Fu, The Flying Nun, and Bewitched. But this is interesting. Huxley invented a musical instrument, an aluminum refinement of the blaster beam in the 1970s. His design was patented in 1984, And the instrument was used in the soundtrack to Star Trek, the motion picture, and also for films like 10 Cloverfield Lane. Hmm. So that's what you can do with a synthesizer coordinator credit. And the other thing, and we'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about the film, but a name to keep in the back of your head is William Frederick. So he is the Megaforce vehicles and weapon designer. So he basically with about, I think it was a million dollars came up with all of the vehicles that were used within the film. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's talk yeah, about the cast. The, uh, oh, go ahead. An, yeah. Another thing, one of the Chiodo brothers actually worked on this film too. Oh, really? So I, didn't know that. I was just going to say, remind us to circle back with visual effects to the intravision process mm, because yeah. Charlie, <laughs> we are going to talk about that. that. Yeah, we are going to talk about yeah. that. So let's talk about the cast first, uh, starting with Barry Boswick. Just as a reference point, I think most people will know him from maybe two properties. The first one being the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He's Brad. And I think the other thing that he's He's kind of known for (laughs) is uh, Spin City that ran from 96 to 2002 because he played the mayor. Outside of that. uh, He played Mayor Milkshake. Mayor Milkshake. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Indeed. Yes. Um, with the hamburger joint theme here. Okay. In in the late seventies and most of the eighties, he just did TV movies. He really didn't come back to film until 93 when he was in weekend at Bernie's two. And, and I got to say, uh, I, I don't know if you guys have a favorite Barry Boswick film outside of the obvious. My choice is FDR American badass from 2012. He plays Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and this this whole thing is it's just it's just a dumb movie, but um, he ends up fighting zombies and or werewolves, werewolves or some, right? werewolves. Yes, yeah, I've, I've seen that. Yeah, Barry Boswick. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what you guys think of him, but I, I well, since I mean, of that film, I've I've fallen in love with him. So me to me, he always was like he after he kind of got out of Hollywood for a while, he was always kind of the guy that was like somebody's dad or somebody's mm-hmm. husband or something like that. He did a lot of that work. Great voice. Yeah. I actually met him at a horror hound. And, yeah, uh, he's been in a yeah, yeah. Cool. He's a super nice, he's a super nice guy. And Is he tall. super tall too? He's like six yeah, he's four, right? Yeah, he's, he's super tall. approachable. That's what I always found about him. He, I mean, he was just he's just out there, right? You could go up and talk to him, and and he was very yeah, he was funny. Really nice. He's really funny. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. His eyes are very intimidating, though. They're they're. Uh, I mean, for lack of a better word, they're gorgeous. Mm. They're intimidating to look into. I love watching well, Barry Boswick interviews you, too. So, 
Yeah. I love Barry Boswick in tight suits like this, which I mean, yeah. after you parade around in the, your underwear in Rocky Horror, this must be nothing for him. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, he must have yeah, felt like he's wearing a winter coat or something at this point. <laughs> yeah, for real. It's too dressed up. Um, the other person we should probably mention uh, from a lead perspective that people will know is Mr. Michael Beck. So he plays yeah. Dallas. Most people will know him from 1979's The Warriors, uh, or if you're an Olivia Newton-John fan, 1980's yeah. Xanadu. So around or, this, or 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 1982's Warlords of the 21st Century and Destroyers, mm-hmm. aka Battle Truck. Yes, I was gonna say Truck. <laughs> he, he has an interesting resume about this time period. So 79's The Warriors, 80 is Xanadu, Mega Force is uh, 82. Well, with Battle Truck, where he plays the character Hunter, uh, fo- follows that up with Triumphs of a Man Called Horse in 83, as well as two other properties. He he was in a TV movie called The Last Ninja. Um, he played Kenjiro Sakura. Now, again, funny Hollywood casting because <laughs> Michael was born what? in Memphis, Tennessee, but they cast him as a Japanese guy. And uh, I mean, the Golden Seal. At least in his name wasn't David Shamroy Hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> it almost... <laughs> It's pretty close. Um, See, people they talk could, about he, Michelle Yeoh winning Best Actress, and you then you look I, at this credit, and you're like, you know what? We have come a long way. We we, we have, have come a long way. Yes, I will tell you though, Kinjiro Sakura Hamburger sounds great. Yeah, that's it my does. stage name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna use that one. Yeah, let's talk about. Uh, man, I hope I don't butcher this. I will though. Persis Kambata as yes. Zara. So beautiful. Yeah. So I think, again, people may recognize her. You got to, you got to like shave her head and then you'll recognize her. She was in Star Trek, the motion picture, 1979. Before she's most known for, I imagine. Well, I, I I thought that, but I got to be honest. I immediately recognized her from, uh, because I'm like, oh, that's the lady from Nighthawks from 1981. The year that she did before this. I didn't, I didn't really recognize her um, because she had hair. But when yeah, you I don't go, think I watched, for me, I don't think I watch Nighthawks for the women, though. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> True. I mean, that's a dude movie. If there ever was a dude, it movie. is. That, was that movie a bomb? Can we review that? Can you guys? We sorry, like it's my show. Well, Can you guys review? It, it if you're going to come on the show, we will definitely talk about <laughs> Nighthawks. I don't care if it's a bomb or not. I love that film. Yeah. I, I love it too. Movie. That was an HBO staple for me. I watched it every time. Yes, again, every time. Um, Amazing. And, you know, not soon after this film, she's in another film called Warrior of the Lost World. So not not a lot of acting gigs outside of TV and stuff um, post Megaforce. Dude, I love that movie. Warrior of the Lost World's like <laughs> really bad. Yeah, it's it is. It's called Mad, Mad Rider. Mad Rider, I think. Mad Rider? Awesome. Yeah. Oh, I don't know about that title. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a couple other names. Let's talk about Edward Mulhair as Burn White. So he's like the the racist English general or whatever. Um, again, there's going to be a property that a lot of people remember him from, and that's as David Hasselhoff's boss from the Knight Rider series. He played Devin Miles, which ran from four yeah. years from 82 to 86. This guy's been acting since 47, and he's been in stuff like Von Ryan's Express, and I think he was the villain in Army and Flint, or he's a bad guy um, in that film. We've got Wait, in like Flint or Arm and Flint. Arm and Flint, okay, I think, is the credit. Uh, George Firth is Professor Eggstrom, acting since '62. <laughs> Again, a couple of things people will recognize, or at least I recognize him from: 
Blazing Saddles in 74, uh, Cannonball Run in 81, because you're going to hear Cannonball Run come up quite a bit in this podcast. Uh, Megaforce in 82, same year he did Young Doctors in Love, and then followed that up with Dr. Detroit, the Dan Aykroyd film in 83. Yeah, and here we go. Two brains and uh, Butch Casting and Sundance Kid, where he played a character named Woodcock. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's, oh, he's, man, he's a great character episode. actor um, from he from is, that time period. Here we go. Woodcock uh, hamburger. <laughs> now this name, I I got I got to one hundred percent say, I never appreciated this actor until the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema made me go and watch Italian films. Italian action mm. films. And there is a film particularly that uh, really got got me to be a fan of this actor. And it was called Cry of a Prostitute, which I never even heard of until <laughs> GGTMC talked about it. And we're talking about none other than Henry Silva, who plays the, the heavy in this film. Yeah. Now, <laughs> here's what he was doing in the early 80s. 1980, he did Alligator. 1981, he did Sharky's Machine with Burt Reynolds. 82, he did Wrong is Right, Baker County, USA, Megaforce. That's really good one. Baker County, USA, we covered that one too. Yes. People should check that out. Uh, In 84, he does Cannibal Run 2, so he's worked with Jackie Chan. Then the following year, he works with Chuck Norris in Code of Silence. A couple years later, he works with Gary Busey in Bulletproof. Then the following year, he does Above the Law, and uh, goes up against Steven Seagal. And I think the last film he did, which is one that I would like to talk about too. I know you you like this film, Brad. Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, 1999, I think was his last um, yeah. movie released. Yeah. Sammy, I'm going to kick it over to you for Henry Silva. I mean, for, for those who aren't familiar, why should you check out anything with Henry Silva? Well, Henry Silva is, in my opinion... And I speak for my good friend Will as well. In our opinion, he is the prototype for the Hollywood heavy. He is maybe the most fun, versatile, intimidating, strange, odd, heavy to ever really exist in cinema history. He's a really good actor, for the record. But he's got such an interesting face and such an interesting swagger and such an interesting presence that he can do strong, silent, crazy, egotistical, insane. See Sharky's machine. Yeah, he can do it. He he can do anything. <laughs> he can do country bumpkins. He can do everything. He's an old school Hollywood actor. He was an old school Hollywood actor, and uh, I, I've always admired him because he never judged the material. He just showed up and did his job, and uh, he was he was great. And the Italian films that he starred in are some of the best Italian crime films you can see. Uh, it almost I, human. You all did almost human, and I watched yeah. it. After yeah, I, I bought that. that because you guys talked about it. Yeah, yeah. the ill boss and uh, uh, man, what's the one Italian connection where he's with Woody Strode and uh, him and Woody Strode and Mario Adorfs and that as well. He is just he is just one of I, I think pound for pound the most underappreciated character actor in Hollywood history. Even though he has tons of credits, we have always thought he has been so underappreciated. And it's sad that now he's gone, but he lived a nice, really long life. And um, we always tried to get an interview with him. We tried so hard. He would not do anything digitally or electronically. So you had to write letters to him. And I wrote so many letters to him. And unfortunately, he never uh, got back to me. So uh, it would have been a dream come true. It would have been a dream come true. So um, growing up. Go ahead, Jose. 
Uh, I was just going to say growing up, I remember him as Kane from Buck Rogers yeah. and, yes. um, but I used to love seeing him on TV and films and I know he's like, I think he's Sicilian and Italian and, um, uh, he's not Asian. Let's just say he's not Asian, yeah. he's but part as part somebody part who always felt like other in some ways, seeing Henry Silva, I know he wasn't Asian, but he looked a little like me or like, you know, my family. And so he was definitely somebody I, I looked out for and watched just because he sort of resembled me, you know, in some ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, huge fan, Henry Silva. Yeah. Well, I, I think Hollywood thought he had, you know, some Asian background because he got cast in the Manchurian candidate. So, uh, I, I mean, you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. He pops up in films that you just wouldn't expect him to, but I don't know if anybody yeah, I mean, has he lived a come like Amazon, like Amazon women on the moon where he's playing himself <laughs> bullshit or not. Yeah. <laughs> bullshit or not. <laughs> Does, do you guys have a favorite Henry Silva film that you like to watch him in? Code of silence. Code of silence. Okay. Man, you're asking. I mean, this this is one of those type of things where you could throw a bunch of names in a hat. <laughs> uh, I still say pound for pound, the best film that is uh, where you know he is central focus and everything else is probably Cry of a Prostitute. That that, that is, would be my pick. That, that is, is my favorite. Um, Henry Silva. Do you yeah. have, do you have one, Brad? Uh, well, I just, this might be recency bias, but I think it might be almost human. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he's I mean, so he's good great in that in too. Ghost, yeah. He's great in Ghost Dog as well. Great in Chained Heat. He's great yeah. in Weapon. I love him in Above the Law. I mean, he's so menacing yeah. in Above the Law. I you loved him in Alan Quarterman in The Lost City of the Gold. <laughs> a really good film that uh, Todd and I reviewed from 1965 is called Hail Mafia. Oh, and him, and Jack Klugman are in that. And Jack uh, Klugman. Yeah, and it, it's Quincy. It's great. Yeah, it's wow. a great film. I advise everybody to check it out. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to power through a few more names here. Cause we got to talk about production and development. We've got Ralph Wilcox as Zach, Evan C. Kim as Zuki. Now he's been on the show before and Sam, you were on the show when we talked about him cause he was Clint Eastwood's partner in the Deadpool. Yeah. We have, <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yeah. We have Anthony Pina as six killer. People might recognize him as Valdez from the running man. And last, it, it, it always cracks oh, me up. that's right. Yeah. Uh, Robert Fuller is the pilot coming in at the end. And the minute I see him, I, I just remember him from this show that we used to watch in college because he didn't have much to watch. So we just got hooked on this older show. Uh, Emergency. He was Dr. Kelly Brackett from 72 to 79. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With, uh, what's his name? Randolph Mantooth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> these names man this is gold <laughs> yeah david Burger um, presents randolph mantooth in <laughs> and by the way speaking speaking of watching tv and seeing other asians evan kim i just remember him from everything i mean chips fantasy island the kentucky fried all movie the shows that i loved he was in the kentucky yeah. fried movie right yeah oh yeah he is, yep. he is in kentucky fried movie that's right yeah uh, let's talk about production. There's so many good stories here and please guys <laughs> chime in if I'm, I'm missing something. This is my favorite part of talking about Megaforce. So Perry Boswick, he was cast in the lead after the producers saw him on stage in the pirates of Penzance in Los Angeles. I, I guess the way How the does story lend to casting in an action. Film? <clears throat> I don't understand. Well, the way the story goes is he <laughs> used to like throw uh, a scarf or something out to people in the audience and he always said that he looked for what he thought was the, the prettiest girl in the audience and he, and he threw whatever it was to her. Yeah. So he, he throws that to Hal Needham's wife. 
And Hal Needham's wife oh. goes home and says, you need to cast this guy. This is your lead. So that's how he got yeah. cast. Can I, okay. Barry Bostwick doesn't take it out for air. What? Wanna? I want to go back. Shame on nobody for not mentioning Evan Kim and Caveman, the Ringo Star. Oh my God, with uh, Shelley oh, Long. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Or he's the only one that speaks English, and he's like, she. Yeah. <laughs> um, producer Al Rudy oh said that he and the director had talked to one other actor earlier in the development stage when the script was more serious. And according to Barry Boswick in interviews, the other actors considered for this film. Now, again, this was when it was supposed to be a more serious project was Tom Selleck, which makes sense. He was doing stuff for Golden Harvest and Michael yes. Douglas was another name that popped up Dallas. So the Michael Beck character was originally supposed to be played by Jerry Reed, but Jerry Reed didn't show up. And so <laughs> they signed Beck over the weekend and then he shows up on Monday um, to do he this. He does a Jerry Reed impersonation the whole movie. <laughs> Pretty much. He learned his lines on the car from the airport to the desert where they're filming. So, wow. Did he really learn <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, what Jose talked about the uh, the the screenwriters. To be totally honest, and and I think they've even talked about this in some of the making ofs. At some point, they just threw the screenplay out, and it was like, "Hey, we're making stuff up as we go." So you really, Michael wow. Beck memorized a speech, and that was about it. And then he picked up, "Hey, we're just making this up as we go." And so there's your screenplay. Well, he said he did have to memorize. You love them in blue. You love them in red. But most of all, you love them in blue. <laughs> Well, who told you that? <laughs> you did. Uh, the movie <laughs> had no. Those are the kind of lines you yeah. memorize. The movie had no credited costume designer. All the clothes were designed by the toy company Mattel. Vehicles were designed with toy sales in mind as well. William Frederick, who we talked about earlier, who also worked on Hooper, delivered all of these motorcycles, uh, or, you know, ATVs, all of it within eight months, right? So they cost about a, a million dollars and they all worked. However, at the end of the day, when they're shooting with these vehicles and stuff, drivers in the vehicles had to be rushed to the hospital due to carbon monoxide gases getting into the cabins of the vehicle. <laughs> Jesus God. Yes. How neat them Stunt was like men. Yeah, Al Needham was like, grow a pair. That's right. So <laughs> yes. the, uh, the film was... I said William Frederick, because in my notes, I wrote William Freakin, and that was like... <laughs> no, totally not Freakin, not Freakin. I was, I was like... Uh, the film was... Shamroy Hamburgers like, you chumps. Yeah, the, the film was shot on location in Nevada. It pioneered the use of introvision. You mentioned this, Jose. Oh, it's a yeah. system that allowed actors to walk in and out of photographs instead of sets... And it was used to create the headquarters for the private army. Yeah. Uh, we already yeah. talked about it being a slate of films from Golden Harvest, who was trying to kind of break into the American market. And, um, you know, about this time, they're doing Cannibal Run, Death Hunt, High Road to China, The Protector, which was a Jackie Chan vehicle. Now, here's, here's where it gets really interesting. They're trying to release these, uh, these movies for Western audiences. At this point, Golden Harvest had produced two major flops, okay? beginning with the letter M. Megaforce came out in 1982. Menage a Trois, uh, also known as Better Late Than Never. I think that's how it was released over here. But its original <laughs> title started with an M. That came out in 83. So what happened was Jackie Chan had this movie, and executives who they're really superstitious said, we cannot release Jackie Chan's new film, Meals on Wheels, because it starts with an M. So we need to change the title to Wheels on Meals 
And, and the whole idea of that was to break the curse of movies that started with M. The good news is Wheels on Meals was a hit. So they broke the curse with that next release. And forever in my life, I always say Wheels on Meals and think, am I saying it right? Is that what it's called? Yes, <laughs> exactly. I, I've been doing it ever since I've known that film exists. Yes, you can thank Megaforce for that. So Thanks, I, I know we... We hinted at the Jackie Chan connection when uh, of last week's episode. There you go. The 1982 commercial for the Atari 26 Megaforce video game, which if you have the Umbrella Entertainment Special Edition Blu-ray, you can see the commercial, but also gameplay of the Megaforce. I, I have the cartridge. It's awesome. Uh, we used to play this. Wow. Yeah. But the, the guy in the commercial for Megaforce is a young Brian Cranston. Yeah. There you go. Stop. Yes. Grand man. Awesome. I love Brian Cranston. So yeah. Megaforce. Seven in that commercial too? Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Megaforce by the band 707, the movie's yeah. title song, reached number 12 on Billboard's mainstream rock chart. A sequel titled Deeds Not Words was considered. Actually, it was supposed to be a three-picture deal. That was supposed to be the sequel. It was scrapped due to poor performance of this film. Now, mm. here's where it gets really interesting. At, at the start of the show, I called this a documentary. It is. It is, in <laughs> fact, a documentary. Megaforce and the technology in this film were so realistic, the government got freaking scared. So this is according to Barry Boswick. We use high-technology weapons of the most advanced design. They're still on the drawing board, but they will be in use by the time this movie is out that's Barry Boswick. I, I mean, apparently the government told him that. Here's the other thing. Boswick claimed that the Pentagon tried to stop the movie by withholding 40 army tanks needed for the bigger battle sequences because the movie's strike force was, quote, very close to covert CIA strike forces still in existence. Yeah, there's apparently megaforces running around for the CIA. Wow. When the film was released, those same military officials were so impressed with the vehicle's that were giving everybody carbon monoxide poisoning that they asked for the plans and the producers turned them over. Here's, here's a great quote from Boswick. You know, what's good about this film. It's plausible. We need an international force like this to keep the peace. I wouldn't mind betting that one day there's a real mega force operating somewhere in the world. It's kind of like we need a world police, maybe like a team America. Yeah. Yes, there you go. And it's no secret that film, Team America, was based uh, loosely on Megaforce. And uh, the Ascot budget for this film was actually $2 million. <laughs> I'm, I'm just assuming that. I don't know. That's I couldn't find I was, that How statistic. much is a headband? I don't know. The headband was cheap, I a, but the I amount of... I headband for tonight just for it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, I'm wearing a headband right now. Just not on. Not and any other fun stories you want to share about Megaforce? Uh, I, this this film has so many of them. Um, for those who are really interested in this, and and we'll probably say this at the end, if if you're a Megaforce fan, you have to order the Australian Blu-ray from Umbrella. It has two commentaries, every type of interview you can think of, all of the commercials, the commercials for the video game. It is uh, probably one of the, the most loaded special features Blu-ray. The print looks great, too. The sound quality on the 5.1 is not so great. If you're watching it, definitely watch it on the two-channel audio. Uh, but it, it's a fantastic release. But if you love Megaforce, you've, you've got to check out that um, Blu-ray. And the people who put out the documentary Life After Flash 
are actually working on a documentary right now called Life After Megaforce. Mm. Yes. So it should be released uh, I love shortly. that Life After Flash, too. It was mm-hmm. pretty good. Little known good. fact, this is George W. Bush's favorite film. Mm. No, really? Rightly so. Dude, it's a documentary. <laughs> Come on. It's about invading another country. Yes. yes yeah. I'm so gullible. <laughs> uh, guys. Poppy, can we rent Megaforce? <laughs> <laughs> Um, how about we take just a really, really oh, short we gotta break? We got to get that kid out of the basement. We get <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> All right, we're taking a short break. When we come back, um, we're gonna talk about uh, this this mega force thing. So stay tuned. Uh, may I help you? Uh, I'd like two of those, please. Hot dogs? Yes, sir. And three of those. And one of those. And five bars of these. And a cup of the nice hot liquid. Uh, coffee. Uh, coming right up. Oh, and two bags of those peculiar white coffee material. Uh, you mean our crunchy popcorn. Uh, uh, shall I wrap that for you, sir? Oh, that's all right. My saucer just outside. <laughs> they come from miles to enjoy our intermission. Eddie and Cam were just two innocent kids. Now they're moving violations. We saw this sheriff shoot his deputy, and now he's trying to kill us. Racing from the police for a murder they weren't meant to see. Every speed they hit illegal, and every car they steal demolished. Moving violations. The only thing they can't do is stop. They're fast. They're illegal. They're a moving violation. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Okay, here we go. Now I'm I'm just I'm I'm a betting man. I'm gonna bet that there is one person amongst the four of us who just didn't have any fun with this because fun is where this place goes to die. I guess I don't know. Um, so I'm gonna get it out of the way. <laughs> I'm gonna start with you, Brad. Just how about you share? your experience watching this awesome movie and um, tell us about like the fact you have no soul, but go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I really hated this movie to be perfectly honest with you. No, it's understandable. It's understandable. The first 45 minutes of this movie is so awesome. Expository. Like I don't care about anything. All I do is explain things. And it's like, Hey, we're the good guys. The other people, are bad guys and we're going to go fight them. That's all I need to know. But no, we waste 50 minutes explaining all this. Um, yeah. Like I know. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry about that. It just slipped. (laughs) I just, it took me three times to get through this movie. I could not, it could not hold my attention for any time at all. I was completely and utterly bored watching this and, it was 
not as long as I thought it was, but it felt really long. And wow. I, I don't know what happens in this movie. I, I think at some point in time, the bad guy comes and hugs the, the, the one good guy. And you're like, why don't you just shoot him in the head? It would save <laughs> a lot of lives. Um, most of the action is what like, lives who died in this film outside of no, three yeah, guys who were trying no to sneak body. up on the There's no tank body and, count in a war movie. There's three. Um, there's a three person body count, whatever. Um, they show, they will show tanks shooting. Yeah. Cut to some motorcycles, right? Cut to some explosions. Yep. Cut to more tank shooting. Yeah. That models the models explode. Don't forget about yeah. the models. Yeah, there's explode. a there's a lot of miniatures in this, which yeah. I can appreciate. But it isn't until the very end where the motorcycles and the tanks actually interact for a little bit. Um, essentially, this is just a really bad episode of GI Joe. Whoa, um, whoa! Slow your roll there, commie. <laughs> <laughs> but God, I I, I hate I hated every minute of this movie. I hated it. So, so you're much. saying you hate I, America? That's all I'm hearing right now. Sure, imper- <laughs> imperialism all the way. <laughs> Jesus, Brad. Sucks. <laughs> Sucks. I thought I was on Breaking Brad all of a sudden. Oh my god. Oh, wow. Almost happened. Is this is count this as a breaking as an episode? Yeah, is this a breaking Brad episode it, then? It, it almost bro- it took me 3 times. I, I had to it, watch some of it today during lunch. I guess uh, lunch. I guess <laughs> lunch? Yeah. watching Mega Force Theory lunch. Did you eat the rat rat boy? <laughs> rat brain? Wait, Troy, did you see he just took a swig of some water dry mouth? Is that not a symptom of like on your checklist? I, it's a symptom of just being wrong, 100% wrong. That's what it's a symptom of. I will now step, I will now step aside and let you three circle jerk around this thing and Uh, whatever. (laughs) Tell me why it's good. Please. Someone tell me why it's good. Well, A, it's American, but go ahead, Jose. Hold on. Go ahead. I'll go next. So I do remember seeing this movie when I was a kid and loving it. Absolutely loving it. Right. Sorry. Um, I watched it again and I have to say I can see Brad's criticisms. Oh, shut it. You can't see any of Brad criticisms. No, come on. I, I mean, I can see why he reacted that way. How about that? But all I'm going to say is that as I, as, as I was watching this with my husband, I, I did feel like I was like, wait a minute, this is GI Joe before there was ever a GI Joe. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that hit me was this just felt like Hal Needham and his stunt guys going out into the desert and shooting action sequences, like right, and then throwing in these weird, weird comedic bits about an eccentric team of macho men interacting with each other, and it's it's almost it's almost like a live action cartoon or a live action comic book because what the, what comes out of their mouths fits in a word bubble, by the way, right? It's really short. And it doesn't really mean anything. Um, I will say this. I wanted to watch the commentary, but instead I just ended up watching it over again. I think in the last couple of days, I've seen it like three times. Oh, bravo. Um, bravo. That's because yes. Love you. Even I love though, you. Even though it's kind of not a great film, it's super fun to watch and kind of laugh at in a way. Because, yeah, 
a lot of it is just super preposterous. Um, the interaction between Persis Kambada and um, Barry Bostwick would never happen in a movie today because people would complain that it was like hashtag me too. I mean, there's even a scene where he says something about like her chest or something. And like in, in the scene um, in the beginning of mean girls where Tim Meadows is interacting with Tina Fey, he's like, he does the whole like pause looks at her chest and then looks up and then like walks away or whatever. But I don't know. I, I just thought it was a blast to watch as silly as it was. Um, I, just the fact that uh, what's his face and Persis Kambata appear to be acting in a completely different film than anyone else in the film. Um, but it's still just, it's just a fun visual stunt reel to watch. So I don't know. I kind of dug it. And I will say part of my attraction to watching this is Barry Boswick in that fantastic tight suit. Um, there were some amazing package shots. <laughs> yeah, there were, so, especially when the gloves are positioned right over kind of pointing down at the package. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hey, look I mean, here, Ace people. And, Ace and Dallas should have just fucked and got it over with because uh, <laughs> they had the most chemistry. They did. They, they but did. Even yeah. just. But even just Boswick's performance, his hair is all plumed up mm. like like a roadrunner, and then he's he's swinging around on things, oh, dramatically like posing. Oh, yeah, it's it it's fun. It I might not be it. a great film, but it's fun to watch. <laughs> I, I like I like that take on it. Bravo, Jose. Um, oh, and and the character of Eggs is also confounding to me because. As if the interaction and the jokes made by Cowboy and all of that are are seem out of left field in an action film, Eggs is even more out of left field. Um, just his goofy physical comedy, his ridiculous jokes. What was what was the one joke he says? Something something. What's a somebody with less on? What's the opposite of having less on? Moron. And he's yeah. like, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That was a good I dad just, joke. I dug the jokes. That was Got a great him. dad joke. Fucking got him. Uh, all right, Sammy, I, I want to kick it over to you. I, I have a feeling you, Jose, and I, it, it, do you think, it, let me ask you this. Is it a demographic thing that an appreciation for a film can fall into a demographic to where at some point the younger generation is just not going to get it? Is this one of those films? I, I, I mean, I think that's a valid question. I mean, uh, I'm, being, I'm being very serious here, mm -hmm. but I think, you know, the thing is, well, just let me, I'll just say what I think. What the truth is, and I said this via text when I watched it this weekend to you three, not in the text with Jose separate. I said other stuff there, but <laughs> come back to that old nugget, but uh, <laughs> still stings. God yes. dang it. <laughs> me, Jose and David Chamber hamburger. Um, yes. Anyway, this film is maybe, and if it isn't the tops, it's got to be top five. It, this might be one of the cheesiest films of the 80s, period. And when I say that, though, I say it with love. There's some kind of sincerity here that I can't quite place. And I don't know if it's earnestness. <laughs> That's not the word I would really use. But I feel like they thought they were making a really good film here. And although I don't, this is, this is really weird to say, but I'm going to say it. I don't think the film is good, but I think because of what it is, 
it ends up being almost some level of great <laughs> because <laughs> it's so far off the grid of what movies were even at that point when you, Brad mentioned all those films at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Think about all those movies and hardly any of those even remotely come close to the insanity that this film is trying to portray. I mean, nothing. And everybody signed up for this and dove. I mean, everybody's in, everybody's in. I mean, Henry Silva's going uh, full tilt here. Uh, George Firth is having fun. Uh, Barry Bostwick. I, I, I don't even know what he's doing. Um, <laughs> Michael Acting. Beck is just like, yeah, Michael Beck is like, hey, I'm just going to do a Jerry Reed impersonation. Edward Mulher is trying to be funny, but he's not quite that funny. There's so many swings and misses, but the movie is so kind of quaint and innocent that I have such a soft spot for it because it's it's almost like it's almost <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like the kid you feel sorry for. It, 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 <laughs> oh, it, God. <laughs> that is the most backhanded compliment I've ever heard about a film. <laughs> you're not going to pick them last. You'll pick them next to last. For yeah, this yeah, film yeah. is the la- last The next to last ball. choice. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, when I say that, though, I mean it in, 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 in good stead, though, because I do enjoy this movie. There's nothing quite like it. The thumb kissing gesture, oh, the ridiculous dialogue. Uh, the skydiving scene. The skydiving scene is uh, oh, amazing. Love making scene, uh, basically through skydiving. I have no idea what anybody was thinking there. Flying the motorcycle. Flying, the flying motorcycle scene is even more bizarre or it's awesome. Look, yeah. replace bizarre look, with awesome. Yeah, <laughs> no, but look, I, I understand what you're saying, and I had a good time watching this. But this is certainly, and you you have to admit this. I know Jose watched it three times, but <laughs> you have to admit that this film plays this is this is the definition to me of group watching movie i mean this is you get a bunch of people together like-minded individuals and you're having a blast with this thing because it's so over the top it's so weird everybody's kind of turned up to 10 and even if they're not they're turned way down to one so it's very strange uh and it's just kind of all over the map and then there's these extended explosion sequences and slow-mo and to me where this film suffers the most, and I think it's the weirdest uh, part of the whole thing, is actually some of the action sequences are, I, I, for me, I think they're kind of dull. They're just people riding motorcycles really slow and stuff blowing up and, like, you know, these facades. And I was kind of surprised going back and watching it how kind of tame those action sequences were, especially coming from how Needham. And um, th- those kind of hurt. But I, I, I enjoyed... I enjoyed the the eightiesness of this. I mean, Hal Needham is responsible for two mega slices of eighties cheese, and this is one. Rad is the other, but Rad is like, I mean, it's like the Magnificent Ambersons compared to this. <laughs> but, <laughs> but again, I want to say that that's not. I'm not saying that as an insult. I'm saying that as I don't know if Hal Needham was the guy to make this movie. And I don't know if you guys agree with that. I know Troy hasn't given his thoughts yet, but I don't know if how Needham was the guy to make this film. But I think in the '80s, and Troy, me and you watched uh, Body Slam about a year ago at yeah, your house. That's right. 
I think Hal Needham was kind of after the Burt Reynolds films. I think he was kind of struggling for some kind of identity. It seemed like with his filmmaking. I I think that's fair as a director. I don't, I don't think he was kept. He was not on pace where Hollywood was going. I think is a better way of saying it. Yeah. I mean, rad is a, and you know, that's the back end. And and I guess that's the last film he makes. I guess, I guess it was body slam and then rad maybe. Yeah. I think so. Uh, rad is good. It's also cheesy, but it's good. Um, but body slam, uh, arguably maybe his worst film, maybe it, it's, it's still watchable, right? We watched it. We, we enjoyed it for what it was. But, but it, it you, you make a good point. Even body slam is a group watch. Yeah. It's a group watch. Yeah. And I just feel like, you know, that's the case here. I mean, for me though, the fact that Henry Silva and Barry Bostwick are having so much fun here, uh, Michael Beck's just kind of, you know, doing his thing. Everybody's just kind of. It, it still feels like a Burt Reynolds and company film. It just feels like everybody's kind of hanging out in the desert and how Needham's sitting in his little, his little tank RV vehicle, whatever that thing is. <laughs> and, uh, they're just kind of having a good time and blowing shit up and just having fun. And, uh, I think it works on that level. I do not think it's a great film, but I think it's great fun. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I mean, but listen, it's, you know, it's, it's a great I, I movie and it, great fun, but go ahead. <laughs> but, but let me just say that that scene where the two macho guys are throwing the dagger at each other while the ones doing the crossword that, puzzle. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it needed more of that. It needed more of that. <laughs> well, you know, you can see this as some sort of, maybe they were trying to develop some sort of like ensemble piece at some point and they were like hey get get the other team members in or what have you but but just i don't know some of it some of the scenes are so macho and so 80s and so ridiculous that you can't help but smile at it yeah yeah and and when what it also pretends or what it kind of shows or portrays or whatever the word you want to use is it does feel like a another country making an american film it it really feels like that to me yeah it feels like you know you know, you know how those films feel. This is something we talk about on our show with, you know, American uh, actors going to Italia, Italy, Italia, Italy, Italia, Italia, <laughs> and, uh, you know, making films. But, you know, there's these ideas of what an American film are going to be. I mean, this this movie, let's be honest, this movie is is almost like a harbinger for uh, comic book films in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, the, it's bare yeah. bones, but it's there. And we've seen this film made over and over and over again by Marvel, in my opinion. Well, it yeah, if if you if if we want to put our scholar hats on, you've got a group of films coming out around this time period that when when you think about movies today and you think about product placement ads, that movies are now blending in with consumerism. Megaforce is one of the early examples where it's a it's a commercial for toys. I, I mean, when you take a step back, because there's a reason why Mattel designed the costumes, and even when they're doing the vehicles, they said, "Okay, Mattel has to have input on this because we need to sell toys." As a result, as a result of Megaforce, and if you were reading comic books in eighty one, eighty two, every other page or the back of every comic book had a Megaforce poster on it. So this is a prime example of film really pushing an agenda outside of just being a movie. It's pushing this agenda of, 
hey, you got to go buy something on top of this. So I, I think if you compare this to comic book movies or something of that nature, you're not far off because no. this this is the introduction of really commerce and film kind of coming together and being very blatant in in that objective. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Chinese money has become a big thing in Hollywood, and uh, the Chinese market was for a while there. Still is, I think. Uh, I don't really read the the trades, so to speak. I'm too busy <laughs> hanging out with David Shamroy Hamburger. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, they they saw the future. I mean, I kind of we kind of you guys kind of talked about this with staying alive a little bit. Uh, I wasn't on that episode, unfortunately, and I wanted to be on it because one of the things about that is, you know, the soundtrack album became a big deal. So there's Mm -hmm. all these other revenue streams, yeah, to to the film itself. And the '80s, our generation, especially maybe not Brad's, but Brad's in some way as well. Um we're getting plowed with, well, I got to have the toys. I got to have the comic book crossover. I got to have the novelization. I I, want to stop there for a second and say, and Brad, this is where I really want you to weigh in. I'm going to make, I'm going to make this, this statement, this type of film in the eighties and even a Chinese production company backing it and saying, we're going to crack the Western market with this. It is not a ploy for the movie industry as much as, different revenue streams right and it's clunky it may not necessarily work or gel together holistically but when you get to the 90s and beyond and i'm thinking about properties like teenage mutant ninja turtles etc it's perfected batman 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 it's perfected at that point like we've got it down we know how to release these things and go for it now Star- no, that's not really fair. Star Wars started it all. I was just going to say, Star Wars created the blueprint because Lucas was smart enough to kind of know, I'm not giving the toy rights away. Yeah, yeah. But it was even, a gamble, though. It was a gamble. It was a gamble. But as because Star Wars was a hit and everybody's like, hold on a second. You mean kids are going to go to the movies and then they're going to spend their parents' money on toys. You start getting products like Megaforce, right? But I think in... By the time you get to the 90s, it's a better convergence of product and film. And everybody everybody was chasing down the Lucas secret sauce of what Star Wars created, but it got perfected from the 90s and beyond. And and that's why I asked that question. Is, Is Megaforce a, you can't appreciate it unless you grew up in that decade. People outside of that decade were like, this is clunky. I see it a mile away. I, I don't understand it. It's not fun for me, et cetera. And are our views shaded by so much nostalgia for the film that somebody like Brad can look at it and go, well, this is just dumb. But you know what? Batman was amazing. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was amazing. But at that point, you're like, okay, Hollywood got it down. Product placement, commerce, and film looked great at that time period versus everybody was figuring out in the early eighties and chasing off after Lucas. I mean, full disclosure, this was the first time I've, I've seen this. Yeah. Okay. So, as a 40 year old man, it doesn't really seem to hold up. Very <laughs> but, well. but do you think Max would like this or not? Ooh, probably not. There's a lot of just kind of standing around and looking at concrete for a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, I could see and that. And they're standing out in the desert and we're not doing anything. Yeah. So, Again, I, mean, I, I, none I don't of this think stuff, the... So like super impressive right now. Do what? They, they're not impressive now. Like oh, maybe yeah. in 1982 or whatever they were, but now, no. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll share my thoughts and in full disclosure, this comes from a very jaded, uh, I, I, I don't know what you would call it. Like my, my whole thought process in this film comes from, you've got a critical response on one end, whatever the opposite end of a critical response. That's where my thoughts always come when I sit down it's and watch Force. It's what your fanboy thoughts. It's not even fanboy. It, it really comes down to, um, so I, I look at it this way, Ni- 1981 enter the ninja comes out. Right. And we talked about this on the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema, Brad, when you and I went over there. So that's when Troy discovered he wanted to be a ninja, right? And he was going to be a ninja when he grew up. Yes. So Megaforce <laughs> comes out in 1982 and then Troy, he's like, oh shit, I need to be a ninja working for Megaforce riding around on one of those sweet flying motorcycles. So that's what I thought I was going to end up doing. Cause again, CIA said, can't release this film. It's too accurate. Right. Um, and maybe Jose, this is for you. Maybe I had certain feelings for Barry Boswick that I couldn't figure out. I mean, <laughs> he was a tougher version of the Bee Gees, and I think I like that. Um, <laughs> oh. But listen, so you the BBs, sexuality, I love yeah. yeah, yeah, the BBs, the BBs. If you will. <laughs> uh, but you guys have alluded to this already. Megaforce is a live action version of the GI Joe cartoon. And the G.I. Joe cartoon hit in 83. So I mean, so much so that I could not stop thinking of G.I. Joe every time the frame would change. It it is. It is 100% a G.I. Joe cartoon come to life. It is more lasers. They do. It is more of a G.I. Joe cartoon. Like it's it's a better G.I. Joe movie than probably the G.I. Joe movies that they tried to release. You shut your mouth. <laughs> yes, that first one was amazing, awesome. man. Rise of the Cobra. The, uh, mm. I mean, even down to the Barry Bostwick and Michael Beck, almost Tomax and Zemont. Uh, yes. Uh, costumes. Yes. Yeah, I, I would even say this. So that's a good segue when you talk about costumes. And I sent you guys this picture. In fact, G.I. Joe might be a sequel to Megaforce since the cartoon came out in 83. And, and here's where I'm going with this. Ace Hunter ended up turning into Cobra Commander, and Megaforce <laughs> is actually Cobra. And yeah. Dallas becomes Destro. Zara becomes the Baroness. They got screwed over by their government, right? Because they go, look, we're leaving you here. And so even at the end, they blow up that guy's chopper. And Megaforce has a, all this advanced technology with lasers. So there you go. Um, and look at their formal dining clothes. It's straight cobra colors, black or blue it and red. Is. He You're looks right. exactly. Barry Boswick looks like Cobra Commander without the helmet in his outfit. It's Evan an entire template. Quick kick, right? Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> it's um, it's a whole template for the cobra uniforms. And I, I really uh, do think that that G.I. Joe and Cobra itself. And look, I, I have an, a, an affection for Cobra Commander. As a matter of fact, I, I style all my leadership skills off Cobra Commander and it's worked, but um, which in fact means I've styled all my leadership off of um, Ace Hunter because he becomes Cobra Commander. That's 
See, that's this is theory. where you're better than me because I styled all my leadership qualities after David Shamroy Hamburger. Oh yeah, no, I went, <laughs> I went after Cobra Commander. Um, and and whereas you said that this was the cheesiest '80s film to come out, I, I would say this is the most '80s thing the '80s ever made. In it, my opinion, I mean, dude, arguably the only thing I could think when I rewatched this film was there. I don't think there can be a more '80s thing pop culture wise than this film yeah i i mean even xanadu doesn't even come close to this i I agree this thing screams big plastic toys video games it screams my childhood so much it's almost awkward to watch it's almost like the production skull a skull uh (laughs) chewing tobacco shirt on no it's the production design is right out of Buck Rogers or Battlestar Galactica. It looks like sequences out of those TV shows, which we grew yeah. up on. Yeah. You've got but even those don't look as cheesy as this does. Sometimes. Yeah. But you've got ascots yeah. for miles. Everybody has an ascot. So it was a big thing in the eighties. Apparently even the camo thing where they lay the hat on the, on the camo paint reminded <laughs> me. First thing I thought was Zartan. Yes. Yes. Told the, you the it's Cobra. Character. It's Cobra all over. <laughs> And I'm sitting there thinking, why is all of this stuff just flooding into my brain? I, when I sat down to watch it, I was not thinking of G.I. Joe. Oh, it's okay. all I've uh, always equated this to a G.I. Joe movie. But watching it Saturday, all I could think was about all of these toys and all of these things that I did as a child and these sequences. Everything felt like, you know, like play sets come to life. And for that, I think it works, but it but it it's just such a weird cheesy strange experience and I, I and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean it in a good way because i don't think i can think of anything remotely i mean like i said i said rad there's some other films Cloak and dagger which we talked about i mean that's very 80s right but nothing yep. nothing comes close to the the height of 80s kind of commercialism consumerism and kind of kid exploitation yes <laughs> as this film does it is. I, oh, yeah. I think it's more kid exploitation than something like Masters of the Universe. It really is. And throwing yeah. some like Ronald Reagan politics into this too, like yeah, heck sure. yeah, man! It's yeah, yeah. it's America. This this Even is the I'm most convinced. Everybody, everybody on set of this film was doing coke. I have no doubt. I guarantee they were. But that's a good point, yeah. Brad. I mean, this is the most American '80s kids film out there. Yeah. If you think about it, I, I just had pictures in my head of Edward Mulhair snorting coke out of Barry Boswick's crack. Jesus. I would pay to see that. I would too. <laughs> but I mean it Mega and again Force too. <laughs> it's it's a it's what's amazing about this film is it it follows that template of kids action films where nobody dies. You see three guys maybe off screen get lasered or something, but you've got people pretty much parachuting out of tanks, which is just like the GI Joe cartoon. If a tank's going to blow up, they're running out of it. The bad guys is still alive at the end for the next episode. Yeah. I, I really like that though. I love that chemistry that Barry and Henry have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the true highlight of the movie. It's it the, the scene between Boss when Henry Silva comes into the enemy camp. Yes. It's really one of the highlights of the movie, in my opinion. It's watching Barry Boswick and Henry Silva play off each other. And it's again another example that Henry Silva could really do anything. Yes. And and uh, even that I wish sequence. I could have appreciated it though, because I was so confused. I was like, "Why is the bad guy walking into the good guy camp?" Yeah, 
I think I really do think, Brad, you would have had a much better time watching this with us versus oh, on I'm your sure. own. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but true 80s fashion, this film has some problems. So what what's funny is this is a movie, uh, and I, I know, Brad, you have movies that you watch with your kids, et cetera, and you kind of go, hey, when, when this is on, I'm going to watch it with, with this kid. Mega Force's Angel and I's movie, for whatever reason, she 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 enjoys this film. Although when we watch it, she is one hundred percent very much like, oh my god! Every time we watch this film, it it, it just reminds her how, uh, in her opinion, male chauvinist and misogynistic like the eighties were. Right. So, um, in true eighties fashion, this film has some problems. So first of all, let's start with the general dude. That guy is super racist, super racist. <laughs> right in the beginning, when he's getting out of the limousine, he's asking her, "Is like, why? What side is the chauffeur on? Is he on our side? I mean, just because he's Asian, he assumes he might be an enemy." And then, not just a few minutes later, he's asking the the black character if he's listening to Gladys Knight and the Pips. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's a little. It's a little problematic. Yeah, Most that's a definitely. little subtle uh, racist jab there. Yeah, and then yeah. then you get this whole sequence in the film that uh, women can't be in the field, right? They should they should be making sandwiches in the commissary with their fancy ascots. Um, but he, do they say that they say that, or is that you saying that? No, look, it's <laughs> it's, implied. it's implied. He it does a implied. really good job of explaining why chicks can't be in the military or or his team that they yeah. train as one man or something like that. And women can't think like a man. So, I mean, you can go one step further with all this. Barry Boswick's character, Ace Hunter is. I raping, uh, the Zara character from the moment he sees her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But will not it's let okay. her into his team, even though the team is like, why didn't you let her in the team? And he's like, I can't let her in the team. Cause she can only make sandwiches, yeah. but everybody's like, she should be in the team. Well, mm. Cowboy says, Dallas says, you know, or maybe it wasn't Dallas, but he's like, she could be your own Florence Nightingale. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you say that. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, now, the most heinous of the <laughs> the things in this film, like if if nobody's seen this, you got to, you got to, you got to. Okay. I agree. Barry Bostwick's anus, yeah. No, no, not oh, I didn't no, you say, said, yeah. you said heinous, oh, not anus. Oh, we weren't oh, talking about. Oh. Right. Whatever Jose's phrase is for butt rappers or whatever. Anus rapper. I yeah. rapper. loved Boswick's anus rapper. I'm um, not ashamed. I'm just shamroid. Oh, yeah. Uh, all the nations provide resources to Megaforce, including the Ku Klux Klan. So <laughs> <laughs> Dallas has his Confederate patch. I assume he's. Yeah, uh, that kind of made me a little nuts. Yeah. He, he apparently failed history class and was like, dude. That they didn't win. You didn't get to be like your own they sovereign nation. They provide all the bags and they cut their, one of their wives cut all the holes in the bags. And they- <laughs> I, it's, it's about, it's about two scenes away from that to be quite honest. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's kind of uncool considering the, you know, the, the other members wear like their countries, you know, there's a Japanese flag, there's an Italian flag yeah. and then he's got the damn yeah. better flag. Well, it's, I guess it's good that the Ku Klux Klan recognized the need for this international force and sent somebody, I guess. I don't know. 
Oh yeah, now now the Ku Klux Klan would have been like, this is a new world order and all this. And stuff. they're not participating, but back in the eighties they participated. So it's gonna be a mega force. It's the greatest force <laughs> of all time. <laughs> Uh, there is there is a line that Persis Kambata gives that always makes me sort of crack up a little bit is uh, when she's reading him the riot act in the beginning. She's like, she's like, you, you make us stand in the desert sweating. You send you, you make us greeted by cowboy. By cowboy. <laughs> this is greeted by cowboy. I'm like, what? But <laughs> anyway, in its defense, the dialogue is awful <laughs> or awesome. But in its defense for all of its problems, it does appear to be very LGBT friendly. Friendly. Would you say that? I would say so. Yeah. I would definitely you know, the, say so. The great thing about that line, Jose, is the line after. So that's a comfortable tour you're looking for. I have connections. At <laughs> yes. At Disney World. Right. <laughs> yeah. I love that you cool. guys can quote this thing. Yeah. Um, but yes. Well, I mean, the, the dialogue's I mean, the dialogue is not great in the film. But I mean, but it is fun. Or awesome. You stop. <laughs> <laughs> but but speaking of the LGBTQ thing, yeah, I uh I I wondered whether Evan Kim and the other guy were maybe a couple or something. And I don't know. The I guys just throwing knives at each other was a little it was almost homoerotic in some ways too. But it, it a, could there's be there's a dude with a really nice mustache in this movie too. Well, there are a lot of good mustaches. In there's some awesome mustaches. There's amazing ascots and gold uniforms, rainbow parachutes, uh, rainbow smoke screens, which mm-hmm. I thought looked great. Yeah, and holograms. Great. holograms. Yeah, that, that whole sequence at the end, I was texting you guys, right? I mean, that totally feels like it's coming out of Smokey and the Bandit Part 2. The 100% Smokey and the Bandit Part 2. I yeah, love the whole yeah. car orgy at the end of that. And I, I'm going to put this out there. It's probably a bold statement, but Barry Boswick's guy liner might be the best guy liner I've ever seen ever in a film. It's so good. I don't know that I've ever seen a more masculine actor dolled up in a film than this one. And look, and I, mean, I mean that in the best way. No, I, and I, I mean, this is a total I mean, compliment, not sarcasm and look really good. I'm just, he, he I looks mean, great. He is literally glowing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This question is not for Jose. Cause we know. <laughs> Have you ever worn guy liner before? What? You ever worn guy liner before? No. Makeup. I look. <laughs> this guy would try to do guy liner and would look like I don't know Courtney from uh, mm. what, what's the Courtney Love? There you go. Courtney Love. Courtney yeah. Love. <laughs> I would look like Courtney Love if I tried to uh, wear guy liner, and that's not a good look for me. <laughs> Sammy, I'm gonna guess the no on Sammy, but I could be wrong. I think Sammy has. Oh, I probably have. Yeah, I probably worn guy liner before. Yeah, you did no, a band. Hasn't thing, Harper right? drawn it on you? Well, yeah, I've definitely. My daughter's <laughs> definitely uh, put uh, makeup on me and stuff. But I've I've wore it before. I played music in the eighties. So, yeah. Ooh, okay. Can we side? Can we just sideline for? So, Jose, what is the secret to guy liner? Exact? Because why? How? How does? It looks really good on Barry Boswick. I I, I well, am a little so jealous. I, I I mean, Jose can. I, I'm just saying this as a. As somebody who may not know, but I mean, I'm just going to say it flat out. I already said this. Barry Boswick's eyes are extremely intimidating. Yeah, to look into. So his eyes are already strong. What the guy liner is going to do is it's going to bring that out. Even it more. accentuates it, man. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, honestly, there might not even there might have not even have been liner. They might have just done mascara, honestly. Yeah. Because it just his eyes are like that. You don't need that kind of 
you put the you put the guy liner on usually just for either definition or to make it look you know smoky and like rocky or whatever like yeah. a la johnny depp and pirates of the Car- caribbean or whatever but, oh, yes, yes, yes. but i think that um i think they really just did mascara on him because he's got the lashes and the intense eyes yeah really okay i i just I mean, assumed I, it was guy liner i it, it looks so it, good it's funny yeah it's funny when i think of movies from the 80s in this period and of course you know 82 i'm all of 10 years old or yeah, yeah. 11 years old yeah yeah right yeah now actually i'm nine jesus i'm even younger than that so i'm watching this and i'm thinking to myself all those films i loved from that era and you know there was always this kind of glowy kind of vaseline lens to kind of approach to these films i don't think there's vaseline lens approach here i just think that barry bostwick the way he's shot and the way he's dressed he just glows yeah, well, the gold suit kinda, helps. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. But it's kind of unbelievable how much he kind of pops and stands out in in this movie. And uh, that was a, that was probably one of the wisest choices Needham made because you know he you got to make Ace Hunter this this superhero, this almost invincible hero, right? And uh, you got to think. I mean, we didn't know how to make action films the way we make them now. Then, so Needham did what he could do. He made him stand out. He gave him a unique outfit. He gave him the blue headband, which makes him stand out all the time. His hair is amazing. I agree with Jose. It's mm. I, I don't know if I've seen a more quaffed mane in any film. I mean, he looks like a walking lion. Plume of masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. This makes yeah. John Travolta's hair in Staying Alive look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> it does. If there was a hair yeah, off, Le- he would it looks lose. Like it makes Leah Thompson's hair Howard the Duck look tame. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's a it's it's an amazing like male hairstyle. I mean, like yeah, I, I was just blown away by it. And when the wind blows, I'm looking at his hair. I'm just like watching it. I'm like, whoa. How's it not moving? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm like Jeff. Sp- <laughs> I'm like Jeff Spicoli. You know. <laughs> All right, Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't. I mean, I love this film. I really do. And I. For me, it's almost critic proof because it is a part of my childhood. But well, at the yeah. but at the same time, I and Brad's probably gonna. I, if we were in person, he would throat punch me right now. Oh, I I actually think there's some competent filmmaking there. Oh my god! No, listen, <laughs> listen, hear it. Listen, listen, Linda, listen. I, Linda, I, I you can come at this and go. People don't didn't know what the hell they were doing. I mm-hmm. I almost think that's not necessarily true. Like I think Hal Needham knew we're making a film about some military that has motorcycles and cars and things are going to blow up and we need some characters to just pop, right? Specifically this Ace Hunter character. I think this movie revolves around Ace Hunter and these vehicles and explosions. And I think Hal does a really good job because he's not a he's not a dumb director. If you look at his filmography, outside of some missteps like Body Slam, et cetera, I still think he knows how to put together a competent action film. And I think this movie is a competent action film. You may say that the action isn't thrilling. I would say for 1982, it was probably even standard. But he looked like A-team action, really. Yeah, it it is very much A-team action. But 
I don't think TV action for the record. Yeah, it, it's not out of place for early '80s action for what they did. I think it's it's super competent. It wasn't it wasn't trying to like blaze a new path of well, we can make vehicles or people do all this stuff that people have never seen before. I think they were going for a very specific pattern. And yeah, there's a lot of commercialization from it. But I think if you were to take a step back and go, a director was handed probably a script that he goes, throw this out the door because the the concentration is going to be on these vehicles. It's going to be on Ace Hunter. And, um, you know, you can say whatever you want about Barry Boswick and Henry Silva. I don't know what they're doing, but it works. And I think it works because Hal Needham recognized their chemistry and just let it go. And so... I would I would put the argument out there that it's competently directed and as a piece of film you can kind of go well it's junk it's trash it's 0% it's it doesn't have any qualities or something but I would say look for what it was designed to do it's it's very well done in some aspects it's doing it it's doing it <laughs> it's doing it Brad's having hard an disagree. aneurysm right now hard disagree yeah I mean, that's I, why I watched it three times. <laughs> but that, that's the thing, Brad. I mean, I, people can come at this and go, well, it's dumb. It's hard to disagree. It's like, well, great. All you're going to do is you're going to point to movies that came out afterwards and go, well, this movie did it better. And this and like back in 1982 for what this did. And that's why I asked this question. Is it a is it a um, is it a case of nostalgia? Is it something that if you grew up in this decade and you and you caught this film, you can appreciate it? Are, are you going to say, look, you could have gone and seen E.T. and The Thing, and those were better films? I'm not disagreeing with that. But in terms of action films that were coming out in 1982, this was very unique, and it was very different. And it must have worked because it spawned a freaking cartoon series called G.I. Joe, and kids ate it up. So I think in some regards, and, and Megaforce, even today, has a cult following. And these films that have a cult following – they have a cult following for a reason. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I mean, you're 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 fighting uh, you know, an uphill battle with Brad, but I mean I, I know that for me, again, it's pure cheese. It's mega cheese, for yes. lack of a better term. Yeah. But I have a good time with it. I really do have a good time with it. And uh it 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 just it works on the level of you know, it is a cult film. It really is. I mean, uh, I, I think when it was released, obviously, we didn't think that. And I think as time has gone on, it's become that. But, man, it it, it stands out. I mean, I, I don't really, I can't, I mean, all those films from the 80s, Breaking and this and oh, so many, they have this weird quality that uh, even The Last Dragon, which is, you know, a great film, we, we, we can all probably agree with that. But they have this kind of unique kind of almost bubblegum candy kind of quality that I can't quite place. I'll, I'll say this. They had an identity. So, I, I mean, people cannot see this because it's a podcast, but sitting behind me in my office is an original print the of The Last, Last Dragon. Dragon. Yeah. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But here's the thing that I always appreciate about movies. Um, and I can't remember who said they swing for the fences or whatever and, and miss, you know, but films that have an identity – speak to me more than films that just feel like it's a template. And, you know, I would challenge anybody who's going to like poo poo on Megaforce and say, okay, cool. Tell me the movies in the last five years that were so much fun and had an identity, or 
are most movies just fitting a particular studio template and independent film in the last five years has really taken one on the chin because there's quality films out there, but there's not a lot of quality films that are fun and are designed in such a way that they are swinging for the fences or are they playing it safe? So I I've really appreciated watching the Academy Awards. And I, I mean, I stayed up all night to watch Michelle Yeoh get her Academy Award because my God, that's like the, the best thing the Academy Awards ever done in my opinion, because she's probably my favorite actress. But um, I like the slate of films that got nominated for Best Picture. But I would also take a step back and go, Everything Everywhere All at Once is a really good film, but it's just a really good film. Um, I wasn't as entertained by that film as I was by RRR. RRR is the closest film I can think of in the last couple of years that that even matches an identity that something like Megaforce has. And I And I probably... Some people are going to go, Troy, you're an idiot. But seriously, if, you, if you've seen RRR and you've seen Megaforce, I think they have more in common than they do different in terms of they're just bonkers in some regards. Yeah. Wow. Brad's luck. My brain is broken. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got Did the light now, we- let's, let's wrap it up. Oh, Did boy. Brad's had enough. Me. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, look, Brad, I'll start with you. Is Megaforce a bomb? It's a bomb. Oh, boy. <laughs> Poor Brad. All right, Jose, how about you? Big old boring bomb. Boring bomb. All right. What are you going to call Megaforce? Are you going to put it in the bomb category or not a bomb? Not a bomb. He watched it three times. Okay. I'm just, hey, I got to ask him the question. Why are you being so rude, man? You're grumpy. <laughs> you little grumpy cat. Yep. Sammy, where are you falling? Uh, I'm not a bomb. But right. it's but it's basically based on the uniqueness of the film itself. Okay. It's, uh, I mean, I I really just don't know anything that's quite like Megaforce. I agree. I agree 100%. I'm going to agree with Sammy and Jose and be on the opposite spectrum for Brad here, uh, which is unusual. Brad and I are usually on the same page. I, I do find this, Brad, when we talk about I don't, 80, find, I don't find Brad's reaction to this that shocking. I, I don't either. I, I do equate this to being a little bit of a – you kinda, My son watched about five minutes of it and was like, oh, this looks dumb. And I was like, well, <laughs> you know. My wife fell asleep through it, but that's nothing new. Um, Brad and I are, are usually talking, are you on. Talking, are you talking about sex or are you talking about the movie? Both. Um, okay. when, when we talk about 80s films or some of these films that, well, I think it's 80s films, Brad. I don't know how you think about this because you, you really like Solar Babies. And I, I find that to be a boring mess. So, so see, there you go. There, there's a good example. I've seen Solar Babies as well, and it doesn't click with me. Yeah. But it clicks with Brad. So, I mean, this is the great thing about movies, right? I mean, you, you have these moments like this. You just, you, you, you know, you, you think you know what people are going to think of something. I really had no idea what Brad thought of Megaforce coming into this show tonight. He never said anything via the text or nothing. He never said, he never let his, he never played his cards. He never tipped his hat, so to speak. Oh, sure. yeah, he didn't, huh? Uh, but, but, uh, to find out that, you know, he didn't like it and was bored by it. Um, it's not, it, it doesn't surprise me. It really doesn't. Cause I have met people, Brad's age and younger who really start, well, I've met people my age who struggle with it. They just think it's ridiculous. And of course it is. That's what, that's the point. It's the point. You got to embrace it, man. Yeah. I, I haven't said it. It's not a bomb. It's not a bomb at all. Yeah. Love this thing. Um, now the question is there's, <laughs> 
It's not an easy way to see this from a physical perspective. I think you can get it digitally. You can rent it for like four bucks or buy it for ten. Yeah, Apple rent, has it. Yeah, I rented it on iTunes. Yeah, uh, if if anybody is interested in buying it, uh, I don't know if Diabolic DVD still has copies. I know Umbrella Entertainment, which you can buy from them direct. Which yeah, is you can get it off Amazon too through Umbrella. Okay, yeah, that's it's, how I got it. I got it. it. I got the Umbrella Edition off Amazon's. Okay, perfect. If if you're interested in this film, but more importantly, if you like this film and you're wondering about, hey, I, I want all the behind-the-scenes stuff of it, the, the Atari video game footage, two commentaries, all the special features. They have a great interview with um, Barry Boswick and Beck at a convention, and they talk about Megaforce uh, but end up talking about a lot about uh, Rocky Horror and the Warriors too. The the Blu-ray is a fantastic, I think, collector's item for anybody who likes this film. Brad, I may buy it for you for Christmas. I don't know. There we go. We'll <laughs> see. Just so you can have it. I, I think, Brad, you would actually get a kick out of the extras on it. But I, mean, I, I do. I, I do own it. Do you know me, Troy? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think it is very fascinating that Brad and I will usually agree on most things. But there's something about the 80s. Like the classics the thing we both think is a masterpiece, but you get into these fringe things and I never know where he's going to land. Like some he loves and some like adventures on Buckaroo Banzai. I didn't know what he was going to think of. Mm. I, I really didn't. We talked about that one. So, well, speaking of which I would love a crossover between Megaforce and Buckaroo Banzai. I think that would be oh, a great film. That'd be amazing. That'd be so much fun. Um, Brad, what are we yes, doing sir. next week? Ooh, Your pick. Troy, I'm so excited. Uh, we are going to talk about, first, Hollywood accounting. Ooh, I love accounting. Yes. So much we're fun. We're going to give a lesson on how Hollywood accounting works. Because we're going to kind of tailspin that into talking about Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. <gasps> which no. the studio considers Ooh. a bomb. It bombed? We, we will explain how it got there. A Harry Potter no, film bombed. Yeah. Yep. That's not possible. Yep. Oh, Jose, it is. What? Wait, yeah. is that the one that had um the Twilight Boy? The Twilight Boy, who's <laughs> now the Batman Boy. Was he in that? I think he is in that one. Okay. Uh, and Cedric Diggory, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. the introduction of that character? I think so, sure. yeah. Who okay. knows? I, I've been... Something like that. <laughs> I've been trying to watch these in anticipation. I'm up to number three. I think the Goblet of Fire is the fifth one in the series. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I never, I never made it past part one. Prisoner, prisoner is actually really good. Prisoner, prisoner I, is my favorite. Yeah, I was surprised. I, I t- total disclosure, not a huge Harry Potter fan, and it was because after three, I got really tired of them. But Ooh. in revisiting the first and second one, we'll probably talk about this in more detail next week. I really have appreciation for the Chris Columbus. You know, the first two. Um, yeah, I, I, I do kind of enjoy them, especially from a production, uh, value perspective. The third one is damn near a masterpiece. How good it is in terms of humor, visuals, storytelling, Gary Oldman, <laughs> At Gary Oldman's fantastic. Actually, actually I was going to say, if, if you're going to continue to watch the whole streak, I personally think that half blood Prince is a perfectly shot film, except for one Aaron shot, the entire movie perfect cinematography oh okay yeah i i've got 
I probably, by the time we record that episode, will have only got to the movie we're going to talk about. And then after the episode, I'll go finish <laughs> I him. I bought a book about Hollywood accounting. I've been doing studying. Nice. This is what nice. Brad and I do oh, wait, wait. the scenes. So are, are you going to discuss the infamous uh, a la Batgirl writing down production costs stuff? Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of have to. It's it's a whole new world, man. When you talk about, uh, especially this year, and we'll get into this next week, studios are not doing so hot. I mean, to be quite honest, and nope. I mean, there's always all these stories about where actors will defer their their normal pay for points on the back end, and then they'll use Hollywood accounting and get no points. So, and then there's no back end, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and and how about how about studios? pulling streaming shows so they don't have to pay royalties like hello it's crazy i mean say what you will about physical media um you'll always have it that's not necessarily true with the digital stuff because even there's instances where titles have come down off the playstation network if you bought it from playstation or even itunes and they've come back and said we lost the royalties to it here's a credit of 99 cents for your next rental but you don't own the movie anymore and it's in the fine print right. we'll, yeah. we'll get into yeah. all that next week licensing but you yeah, you're basically buying a license to watch it. Yeah. And the yeah. license can be revoked at any time. I, I got to say this too. I've um, saw Scream 6 and, on a Sunday night, and I was mm. pleasantly surprised how packed the theater was. Oh. So I'm, I'm really hoping that trend continues through this month with John Wick, Dungeons & Dragons, all that stuff going into the summer. Because if you take a step back and think about last year, you really had Top Gun and you have Avatar. That kind of saved the movie-going experience. Without those two films, I think you would see more trouble. I mean, Regal is closing theaters. AMC has been, too. They're still struggling. Um, even some of the local independent stuff like Horizon Cinemas had to close the theater here locally. Uh, cool. But I'm, I'm hoping this changes a little bit. And you can see more people going to the films. I can't, I can't encourage that enough. And that's a good segue to, to your show, Jose, because you guys talk about the films that are out there today. You had a fantastic, I mean, it was long, but folks, <laughs> it's worth it to get through it. Um, there's, there's a lot of good commentary about the, the films that were nominated for the Academy Awards. But I, I can't say this enough. You guys got to go to the theaters. It's a great experience. It doesn't, I mean, watching it on your phone, watching it on your, your even 55-inch TV at home, it cannot encapsulate the whole public viewing experience on a big screen. But, Jose, you guys talk about this every week. You want to kind of plug your show and, and talk about some of the movies you're you're talking about coming up? Absolutely. And actually, I was going to say that um, I have a, a spinoff show where it's just me reviewing a, a movie. And I always close it by saying, get to the theater support exhibition, because yeah. if that doesn't happen, there's still a chance that that could go away. I mean, I think people were thinking, you know, after the pandemic, people, all the movie theaters was just going to slow down, or I'm sorry, shut down. But we need to get into the theaters and support it so it doesn't go away. Um, and speaking of which, you saw Scream 6. We are reviewing Scream 6. That's coming out Thursday. Um, Troy, I'm interested to hear what you think after after you hear our opinions because I'm a huge, passionate Scream fan, and I'm probably going to take heat over what I said in that episode. Well, so. full disclosure, on Sunday, I did not see Scream 5 last year, so the family and I sat down to watch 5, and then we went to the theater to see 6. Oh, Okay. 
So okay. I'm curious to what you guys, and it's funny you say that my favorite movie theater in Baltimore is the parkway. That's where they hold the Maryland film festival. It's closed now. Yeah. Um, so the plans are for it to reopen next year because it just was not able to sustain its business model with the low attendance. I'm hoping that changes when people get more comfortable, but, um, yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. Like go see these films in the movie theater. Uh, scream six was a good time. And I'll, I'll, I'll just share this little anecdote. There was a group of teenage kids sitting in the back row watching scream six. And I know some people like to go to movies and it's gotta be quiet and you hear the theater, et cetera. There's nothing like hearing the, I don't know, just uh, reaction of teenage kids in a horror film. It really, for me, adds to the movie going experience. It's a lot of fun and they seem to enjoy Scream 6 quite a bit. So Sammy, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I think you're coming back in April, but what's going on over there right now with uh, our good friend, Bill Will? Uh, Will, he's uh, over there. They're over there doing what it was a planned month we had this month. We called it No Murder March. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, I remember that. Uh, we, I, we were, I was excited about it, but some things came up, and I couldn't be a part of it. But Will is uh, just kind of keeping the flame lit, as he always says uh, when in messages to me. And uh, they're doing stuff like uh, they did uh, Koganata's uh, Columbus this week, and uh, I think they did Swing Girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Swing Girls, uh, the Japanese uh, film. Yeah, week before, yeah, Japanese film. So they're they're we're, we're what we what we tried to do was because murder is such a strong topic in most filmed entertainment. If you think about it, um, in one way or another, we tried to f- we were going to try to do films that had no murder, and uh, it's more challenging than you think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, uh, anyway, it, it, it's, a, it was a fun experiment. Unfortunately, I didn't get to take part in it, but, um, I think we, we might keep it around. We might uh, do it again next year. It was kind of fun. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. But I should be back in, uh, April and I'm just trying to get my feedback on the ground and get back to a, a scheduled, uh, doing a scheduled podcast as you three know is not easy. And if you got certain things going on in your life, it's really not easy. So, uh, you know, I just need to step away for a while, but I committed to some things uh, with podcasters and I'm a man of my word. So uh, I enjoy um, coming on here and I enjoy helping you guys and being part of this. So, well, you did commit to one thing, breaking Brad. We got an episode yeah. coming up. Yeah, what, I, oh, God. Yes, that's right. What are we what are we doing for the next uh, the March edition of breaking Brad? Um, Brad, yeah, <laughs> we have to record that soon. So I have to watch that movie. We are watching like. Laquisha? Laquisha. It's on, it's on Tubi. <laughs> yeah. Is is anybody going to watch Soul Man before that or uh, in conjunction? Uh, I don't with think that? that's available to stream, honestly. Yeah, no, I don't know if it's out there either or not, but I, I can tell you this, and this is, I don't know what this says about me. I've seen Soul Man so many times, I don't need to see it again. I got the, I basically got it memorized. I'm about to crack open <laughs> my too. DVD of it. What do you think C. Thomas Howell thinks of that movie now? <sighs> that's a good question. Um, you know, C. Thomas Howell's an interesting guy. Um, yeah. I bet he's probably got some opinions, uh-huh. <laughs> but I bet he don't want to be interviewed about it. True. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, okay. So we still have some picks that we need to do this year for breaking Brad. We still have a pretty open slate for the rest of the year. Oh, I, I got to say this. Um, I don't know if people have been paying attention. There's something going around with this podcast, which is really weird. Yes. <laughs> uh, we, we seem to talk about a film. And then about a month later, 
all of a sudden a studio comes out and goes, hey, here's a special edition of the film that we talked about. It it happened a few times last year, and then we kicked off the year. We did Staying Alive. That was the first film, and then found out there's a 4K edition of that coming out here this spring. <laughs> Brad, our, our trend has not stopped, has it? Yeah, and then we did like Miami Vice. That's coming. A new special edition. Edition of Stone Cold. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right after um, I just bought an edition of Stone Cold, you sneaky bastards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been kind Miami of Miami Vice. Yeah, so Miami now I'm Vice. not going to buy. So here's what yeah. it is. The, the director's cut and the theatrical will be on a same single thing. disc through Walmart exclusively in a steelbook case. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced something's going on. So from now on, when I come on the show, I'm not buying any damn thing <laughs> until I have a month after I'm on the show. Dude, your show <laughs> makes me buy so much shit. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I know. I know. So the fall, look for the fall. If the fall gets a Blu-ray release or like a 4K release coming up soon. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm buying a lottery ticket every day. Even a digital release at this point for something like that would be pretty insane. So I've appreciated all of the messages, social media posts, et cetera. When we did the fall, Um, we've had a lot of really good feedback from that. I'll say this. If Loquisha gets a 4k release, (laughs) I'm going to jump off a roof and see if I can. (laughs) That's next. It's only digitally available or on Tubi right now. Um, that's crazy. By the, by the way, I also just wanted to say Soul Man is available to rent or buy on Amazon Prime. There you so go. Guess what? I will be buying on HD for seven ninety nine. Ooh, that's too much. <laughs> I would love. To, I, I would love to sit in a room with you three and watch Soul Man. I would too. That would be fun. <laughs> We, we need to make that happen someday. Uh, Brad, if somebody wants to recommend a bomb for us to review, uh, somebody sent in a recommendation a couple weeks ago, Atlantis, and we moved some stuff around, and we're going to talk about it here yeah, real they soon. They us up with their email, too. So They did. Yeah, that was that was a good email. But how did they get a hold of us? Yeah, that's notabombpod at gmail.com, or you can head over, head over to notabombpodcast.com and hit the Contact Us button, uh, leave us feedback or suggestions there. Or you can go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Yeah. And please go to the website. We have a bunch of uh, podcasts listed that you should be listening to. I don't know if you want to read through the list real quick, Brad, or do you know off the well, top of your head? We have Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We have Watch Get Plus, The VHS Files, Night of the Living Podcast, The Backlook Cinema Podcast, and The Mixtape Podcast. Yeah. There's there's so many good things. I know there's not enough hours in the day to listen to everybody, but try and squeeze it in. There's some good stuff out there. Yeah, Whoa. apparently Amen. podcasting is uh, trending downward. I've been seeing a lot of stuff about how the numbers have actually decreased. And yeah, know, so well, here's the that's thing. why we're moving on up, Troy, because people keep quitting. Not I, that we I, get better; they just keep yeah, dropping out. It's not about being better than everybody else. It's just surviving. Surviving. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time to get in on the game. Look, I've been doing it for almost 15 years. It comes and it goes. Yeah. No, I I appreciate these moments. Um I you know, I got to I got to do a shout out to Brad too. We I don't think either of us thought we'd be doing it this long. It just was it really started as a COVID project. We're like, "Hey, that thing, that podcast we did, let's let's do it again because we're stuck at home." But um I got to say I I mean, not to brag. I got the greatest partner when when it comes down to planning to moving the schedule around, 
Um, even when I get just a crap day and I need help on something, Brad is always there. Uh, it, it is an amazing partnership and I could see us doing this for a while just because we work so well together behind the scenes on this stuff. Um, and yeah, it, totally. it doesn't feel like work. It, it feels like so much fun just spending no, time. I need this from escape from work. So that's another reason why we <laughs> yeah. do it. So. And, and I love yes. the fact I, 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 actually ran into somebody I, i'm always amazed when somebody at work's like you do a podcast don't you and you're like yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and they got excited because we talked about look La, La columbia coffee so oh, yeah. um and i'm like well yeah brad introduced me and then they're like well you got to try the cold brews and i'm like dude um i can't i can only have one cup of coffee a day if i have more than that i'm too bouncy this person's really pushing me on the cold brews, so I, I might have to try that out, Brad. Have you tried the cold brews yet? I, I, I don't like cold brew at all. I am a I like my coffee right at 212 degrees. But they yeah. swear so, by yes. these cold brews. And, I like my um, coffee like I like my men, black and hot. <laughs> mm, yes. Well, in your mouth. I'm going to try black and cold, I think, and see how that goes. <laughs> okay. Strange right. approach, but okay. Yeah. I'm into hey, some weird shit. High, whatever gets you hyped, really. Okay. There you go. Just don't get too bouncy. Okay. okay. Um, okay. Jose, Frank, I, I love you guys. Um, seriously. You guys don't know how much you mean to me. So, but you do know. <laughs> I do. I, I just, my days suck. If I don't, if it goes like two hours and I don't get a random text from you guys, you make me smile. I love you guys so much. I have you three, I, you I have too. Will, and I have, uh, you know, my kids, and uh, I could not have a better life. Ah, I, I agree. Uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for playing along with Megaforce. Uh, I hope you, I hope you watch it. I really do. It's it's a it's a nice little gem from the '80s. If you're a Harry Potter fan, come back next week. It could be interesting. I'm surprised on these rewatches how much I'm enjoying it because I'm not a Harry Potter fan, uh, and I don't know where Brad sits on this one. But it's going to be a really interesting discussion. And I swear accounting and numbers and math can be fun. It's going to be fun. It'll I be fun. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's this is not going to be a lecture just on addition. is Okay, it might be a little bit of a lecture, but it's going to be a fun lecture. It's going to be like a TED Talk for for math. It's going to be amazing. You got your liabilities and you got your assets. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, don't. <laughs> not yet, not yet. All right. I love it. I can't wait. I can't wait. We'll see you next week. Don't lose your head. Hey. Lunch. <laughs>